Welcome everyone to our Miracle Mondays series. And tonight our topic is, Has God Lost My File? You know, many times I've seen my situation as if I was the only one looking at it. And somehow I had in my mind that maybe God had forgotten me. You know, whether it's how time drags on sometimes. You know, I even uh, wrote down a few different experiences that we have where we may question whether or not there is a God. And then it seems like that answer doesn't come, or it doesn't come fast enough. Or maybe we get the answer that we don't want to get. Perhaps you feel powerless to change your circumstances, and the days just go on and on in the same kind of way, the same kind of routine. And you're praying, and you're asking, and you're doing everything you know how to try to listen and be receptive. And it seems sometimes like there's no answer. There's times when we feel lost without any sense of direction. Almost like, you know, if you had a compass in your hand and it was just spinning. It's like, where the heck am I going? And, and, and not having really any idea where you're going. Sometimes we feel that we're at a branch in the road and maybe there's three different choices. And maybe all of them don't seem so great. Or maybe a couple of them seem all right and then one is better, but they're just confusing. Maybe it's a couple of jobs that you're looking at and one you make more money, but the other one is closer to home, and you like the work a little bit better. And, you know, it seems like we get this uh, conflicted uh, mess in front of us at times, and then we're asking for guidance, and it doesn't seem that the guidance is very clear. How many times have you laid awake at night wondering, you know, what's going to happen in the future? And especially if you're seeing your savings dwindle, or maybe you don't have savings, or maybe you have a 401k, and it's lost, you know, 40% of its value. A lot of times we have unforeseen challenges, you know, whether it's an accident or a transmission that goes out or a refrigerator that goes down. And all of a sudden you're facing maybe a $1,000 expense or a $5,000 expense or a $50,000 expense. Maybe you're involved in a lawsuit and all of a sudden you're at the other end of the table where you're being sued and it's for some astronomical amount of money. We find ourselves in these positions wondering, you know, where is God in this? And what has God done with my file? Or do I have a file? Sometimes things happen to our loved ones or a friend, you know, that we, we can't stop. Or maybe they've gone into an addiction or alcoholism. And we're seeing their own life come down in some way. And then we feel powerless because we can't seem to stop it. We can't seem to talk them out of it. We can have long, deep conversations, and then they still go out and do the same darn thing. And you know that it's self-destructive, but you can't stop it. And so it begins to wear on you, doesn't it? It starts to make you feel powerless, as if you don't really matter that much. You know, we have good days, right? Certain days where things work and you go, yeah, you know, I did that. <laughs> you look out and you're proud about what you see and you feel good about it. You know, globally, we can look out and see pictures of starving children. You know, we see the commercials, we see the news, we see it right here in our own country. Uh, you can look out globally and see oil spills and natural disasters, volcanoes, uh, earthquakes, you know, all kinds of things that just keep happening and you wonder, where is God? You know, if God is pure love, then what is this about? Has God lost my file? Has God lost our file? Has God turned his back on society? 
have we done something that has been so offensive that he's just kind of turned away and just letting us, you know, go into mass destruction in some way. As we look at these different experiences in front of our eyes, one of the things that I had to learn for myself was that from A Course in Miracles it says this, that there is nothing you see with your eyes that is true. Not one thing. Even the good stuff. There is not one thing you see with your eyes that is based in truth. And that's a lot to think about, you know, when we're sitting here in this room together and it all seems very real and we're all looking at one another and we're thinking about a particular topic and it, it feels real and it looks real. But what if we could just imagine that there's more than what we see? You know, sometimes even little children, they see things more than we do. Sometimes they see auras around people. Sometimes adults see those things too, but a lot of times they don't because fear has kind of taken over our minds and our ability to see beyond and through and in an expanded state tends to diminish. The fear causes a constriction on our mind. But through the eyes of a child, a lot of times they see the auras around people. They can tell when we're upset because that color changes oftentimes to a red. And they, could, they know it's time to stand back, it's time to get away, because that person's upset. They have that red aura around them. So they have an, an ability to see beyond. One time when my, my little son was, I think it was about five, we were just sitting in a room together, and it was kind of dusk, and we're sitting up against the wall, and we just played some kind of a game. So we were just relaxing, our heads were up against the wall, and he said, don't you see the angels, Mommy? And I just I felt a little bit sad because I, I couldn't, and I, I knew that he could, and that felt really good. I could see it on his face. I could see it in his eyes. And he was just looking up at, there was a ceiling fan in the center of the room, and he said, don't you see them? And I said, you know, I can't. I go, tell me what they're doing. And he said, they're playing all these instruments, and they're just everywhere. I was feeling a little bit sad about that, that I no longer could see that kind of a thing. And I said, well... You know, do they have a message, you know, for me? <laughs> and he said, well, I'll ask them. And he just closed his eyes, and he went right to them. And he just opened his eyes, and he turned right to me in his little five-year-old face and said, they just want you to know how much they love you. <laughs> and I just melted into the floor right there. And I was so happy to hear that message. And sometimes it comes right from the mouths of children because they can still see it. They're still in touch with it. And a lot of times we feel that we can no longer be in touch with it. Maybe we've made too many mistakes or we've had too many failures. Maybe we've brought this blanket down over our head and it's just too thick or too heavy and that maybe God can't get through that. As I've been wondering and walking through this journey, uh, there's been different parts of it, and when, it, when that journey began, it was very, very dark. And it almost was though there was no light. You're just sitting in this very dark space. And after studying A Course in Miracles, what I learned is that it's not up to us to know where the light is. You know, we think it is. We get on these quests, these journeys. Maybe we need to go to India and do that 21-day meditation that everybody's talking about, or... And we start assigning ourselves the task of trying to find God. You know, if we could think of it this way, that we're, when we are in that dark room, when it seems like there is no light and there's no way to get out of that room, if we start to try to figure that out, we will find ourselves getting up 
and literally tripping over the obstacles, you know, to try to find our way out of the room. And we get scared. And, you know, ultimately we can't find it. We don't know where it is. We don't know our way out. You don't need to get up. You don't need to leave the room. You can sit right where you are in that dark space. You know, maybe you feel like you're lost. There's no light. There's no one coming for you. There's nothing going on. But what you do is you sit right in that dark space, right where you are. And your only part is to have a willingness to know that the light still exists. You just don't remember where it is. And that willingness is enough to unlock everything. Because we become convinced that the light is gone. And we sit in that dark space. And most of the time, it, either we're contemplating how to get out of the darkness, or we have given up. And then we're just sitting there in despair and depression. And either way, it's a very despairing feeling. As you sit in your situation tonight, whether it's a mildly complicated one or a very complicated one, you can just imagine this, that wherever you are in that problem, God knows his way to you. You know, if God represents divine intelligence, wouldn't it make sense that God knows his way to you? And that we don't have to figure that out. We become much better listeners. We become more flexible, more receptive when we just get quiet. And when we're willing to just listen and welcome. So there we are in that dark room. And we're just holding a willingness to know that there is light, even though we have no evidence of that light around us. But that's all it takes. You know, the Course in Miracles calls it the little willingness. It says, if you knew how little your part was, you would laugh. And that's not to discount anyone or minimize anyone or make you feel bad or talk down to. It's to really recognize that the step that we need to take is a very little step. And it's kind of comforting. It's kind of a relief to know that we don't have to do so much. Because no matter what, we always assign ourselves center stage. You know, if I have a problem, then I have to figure it out, right? Or if, um, if somebody needs something, then I have to figure out how to get them that something. And that's probably true for most of us. We, we're so bright. We're so um, capable on so many levels. We're children of God. And so we are very resourceful. We can figure out most things. We have an intelligence that comes with us. But one thing that we forget is that it doesn't stop just with our own intelligence that we can really reach into a much higher place, higher than we've ever imagined or even remembered. And when we get into that dark space, the first thing that we do is we feel that that divine intelligence that we're a part of has somehow cut us off. So there we are in that dark space, and we can relax, and we can nestle into it. You know, the Course in Miracles says God takes you right where you are and welcomes you. We can begin by just being right where we are, without a need to leave the room, to run, to hide, to figure it out, to solve the problem. Because as we do this, our mind gets into a very peaceful, quiet place. And that's where we can truly begin to listen in a way that we will be able to understand. So now when that light comes into the room, it's not even up to us to tell it how to do that. Our part is just to know that it's still possible. And we get to those places of despair, and sometimes we write that off. 
we think it's not possible just because we can't see it. You know, how many things have been done that we couldn't see? You know, even as, as humans, we're pretty resourceful. I mean, we flew to the moon. You know, we flew to Mars. I mean, that's amazing if you think of this, that we could even, you know, take off from here and actually hit Mars, you know, some kind of rocket that is uh, guided to get to Mars that far away and actually hits the planet. You know, try just even shooting a, a rifle at a target and see if you can hit that target from like 50 feet away. I mean, imagine that we could actually send a rocket to Mars and land it. We have a lot of skills. We have a lot of brain power. But there's so much more to us than that. And we begin to rely on that smartness that we have, that intelligence that we have, and we begin to think that that's all there is. And if that's all there is, well, then we better get another degree. We better become a doctorate. We better do this. We better do that. We better read that next book. We better go to that next workshop because we begin to believe that it's the accumulation of knowledge that somehow is going to give us power. When you think about knowledge in a physical human kind of way, it serves us because it's a communication tool. If I didn't know the English language right now, I couldn't be speaking to you as I sit here. You know, if I didn't know how to relate to you in a way that you might be willing to understand my examples, then it wouldn't be very useful to you. But this is not true knowledge. True knowledge is not even through words. A Course in Miracles tells us that words are symbols of symbols. They're twice removed from reality. And we get so caught up sometimes in our words you know, did I say it right? Did I do it right? And we begin to judge our words as the end-all be-all of who we are and our identity. If we begin to rely on our own human intelligence to get ourselves out of our problems, we end up feeling very lacking. At some place in time, you're going to end up in a place where you don't know your way out. How many people in this room have been into a problem and they just don't know their way out? Anybody ever not been in that situation? I mean, and it's okay if you haven't. That's great. We're going to have a party after this class. <laughs> but when we get to that place, you know you're there because your own best thinking just isn't working. You know, you've played like your whole hand, and you've played your aces, you played your kings, you played your queens, you played your jacks, and you're holding some twos and some threes, and, and you know, nothing matches, and there's nothing left. And then we go into despair thinking that, oh my God, you know, I used to have aces and I have nothing. But this is a really divine place to be. Because when we get to this place, when we run out of our best ideas, this is when we ask for help. It's a very divine place. You can almost hear your divine consciousness saying in your ear, all right, we can begin now. You know, how many times have you tried to help someone with something, and maybe it's something you knew how to do, and maybe they knew nothing about it, and they, maybe they asked for your help, but you started to tell them about how they could do this in the easiest and simplest of ways, and then all of a sudden they get caught up in what they're doing and they stop listening. And you realize that they're making the very same mistakes that maybe you made when you were learning how to do this one thing, but they're no longer listening. They're caught up in it, and they're making all their own decisions. And you're saying, you know, it might work out really well if you do this and this. And it'd be like, I've got it. You know, I don't need any more. I don't need any more information. As long as we think we're on the right track, it's pretty hard to get our attention. Like, say you get laid off from work, and now you've identified a job. You see it in the newspaper, 
and it sounds like the perfect job for you. You're reading the description, and oh my God, it's everything you know how to do. It's everything you wanted to do for 20 years. And there it is. It's sitting in the newspaper, and you make a decision. This is my job. How many times have we decided for ourselves, this is how it's going to go. I am going to get that job. And it may look like it's the perfect job for you. But what if it's not? What if when you go there, it is just filled with misery and pain? And maybe the people you're working with don't think anything like you. And maybe you feel like an alien being every day that you're there. And a lot of times we decide, and most of the time we decide, we step out and we start walking a track and we go, this is how it's going to go. Because I've seen all the alternatives, you know, all eight of them, <laughs> whatever, out of an infinite possibility. And we say, okay, I've seen the alternatives. This is what I'm doing. This is where I'm going to go. And oh, oh, by the way, God, you know, if I'm wrong, tell me. The Course in Miracles, as I did a flip open one day, I always get these smacks right in the forehead, but in a very loving, gentle way. And it says, this is your main problem now, Robin. You know, I always put my name in there. This is your main problem now, Robin. You first decide what you should do, and then you decide to ask what you should do about it. And I thought, oh, you're right. I did do that, didn't I? But, you know, a lot of times we can get caught up in our idea. And we devise this great plan about how to get ourselves out of a situation only to find out that it doesn't work. It also says in the Course that God's plan works. Yours doesn't. That doesn't mean that we are brainless and that we are puppets of God. It doesn't mean that we don't have a, a part in this beautiful plan. The problem is, is if we are deciding the plan based on our limited amount of knowledge, awareness, and perception, we will be wrong. How could we possibly know the right job for us that would bring us the greatest joy, the greatest happiness, the greatest rewards, the best people to work with, the feeling of like-mindedness and harmony and contentment, and just absolutely feeling joyful to get up in the morning and jump out of bed and go to work. But we devise our own plan, then we follow it, then we get sad, we get depressed, we get mopey, and then we go to God and say, will you fix this for me? And of course, the Holy Spirit responds to our slightest invitation. But sometimes it feels like that answer is very delayed. Like, how come you didn't just airlift me out of this problem? I mean, I don't like being here. I, <laughs> I don't want to be here. You want to click those ruby slippers and just get <laughs> lifted right out of where you are, out of that feeling of despair and back into that place of peace. The reason it feels like it doesn't happen that quickly there's a few things going on. One is that we have a very strong investment in the plan that we are walking, the plan that we are working, right? So we've decided the plan, we're invested. It's like, it's like we're farmers and we say, you know what? This is where I'm putting my crop, right here. Now little do we know that it's going to have a drought for the next four years. That may not be the best place. It looks good, it's green when we got there, right? And it's got some good soil and we feel it, we go, oh, I'm a farmer, I know this is right, I feel it, you know? And we plant that crop and then the seeds don't grow. And we go, what's going on? Does God hate me? And God doesn't hate us. God is pure love. Probably one of the biggest misunderstandings is that God is somehow causing this predicament. And of course in miracles it says that God is not causing our chaos. God is the one showing us our way out of the chaos we have created. 
Bear in mind that the chaos we have created, we have not really done anything. All we've done is delay our happiness. That's enough, right? I mean, we all want happiness, so if you delay your happiness, that's still a big deal. But you cannot alter yourself. You cannot change your divine essence. You cannot be less than the truth and the totality of who you are. But you can delay your happiness with your own devised plan. When we begin to think that God lost our file, it's because we have devised our own plan and we are now working that plan. And we will work it until we run out of ideas. Is that not true? I mean, maybe we're praying along the way, but it's kind of like, you know, just jump in there, God. If you, if you have a good idea, you just put it in over the top of mine, right? I'm just going to keep working my plan. And, you know, if you have something to say, you interrupt me. But, I, you know, we're really headed down you know, this street, and this is the way we're going, and it's not likely that we're asking for intervention. One thing that we can do is start by asking for intervention. On everything, you cannot wear out the divine principle. What we can do is before we get that job, before we go into that relationship, before we go on that doctor's visit, to make a reservation for peace, prayer number seven in the Miracles and Prayer Handbook, we can make a reservation for peace. You know, dear God, I'm going out tonight, perhaps on my first blind date, and I've never done this before, and I'm a little scared. And I'm aware that if I go into this blind date with this fear in my mind, I'm probably going to create a fearful experience, and I don't want that. So I'm going to make a reservation for peace, and I'm going to ask you in advance to show me the right thing to do here, what to say, what to think, how to go about this, how to perceive it. Thank you in advance that everybody showing up in this situation is coming from the highest and most holy place. If this is a divine relationship for me, then bring it on. And if it's not, take it away. I only want a peaceful, happy, loving relationship. You see, when we make a reservation for peace, it's kind of like our own plan. But when you're planning for happiness, you are planning for God's plan for you. It's the one place where we, we are in agreement. If we are asking for happiness, we are asking for God's plan because God's plan is for our happiness and for us to have everything. In the Course it says God's will is for you to have everything. Imagine that. Everything's a big word. And I fully expect for that to be the case. Everything else I've tried in this uh, little blue book has proved itself to me. And so I fully expect to see the evidence of that statement that God's will is for us to have everything. It also says that when we learn to think with God, all things come to us at no cost. You know, my, I was talking with my mother this morning, and she's always been a, a very big prayer gargoyle. I always think of her that way. She prays like two, three hours in the morning, every morning, and she has this huge prayer list. So I have my prayer list, but I think of hers as like the senior prayer list, you know? So anybody that ever asked to be on a prayer list, I call her up, I go, Mom, you got to add another person. And she's like, okay, you know, because she really is devoted to this prayer list. And I do mine more in a group kind of way, but she takes each person and she takes each situation and she just holds it up into the light. And she's had so many beautiful uh, healings and miracles as a result of this prayer list. And you might go, well, how come her prayers are getting answered and mine aren't, you might say. When she's holding it, when someone's holding prayer for you, they're not in fear about it. Isn't that nice? I mean, you know, if, say, you're, you're wanting a relationship and, and you just can't find the right person and you're starting to feel sad and alone 
and all those feelings are beginning to set in. So now you put yourself on someone's prayer list. Well, they're not in fear about it for you. So it's a little easier for them to raise it up into the light on your behalf because there's no fear around it. I think out of, uh, she's had a, probably everybody will mob me after class, but she's had about, uh, I think, 23 people on her list that, um, that wanted to find a soulmate relationship. And the, a lot of these people had never even had a date in their life. They had been, uh, you know, without a partner for sometimes over like 30 years. And I believe she's at like 17 out of 23 now have soulmate relationships. You know, she has this beautiful way of prayer. And I, I so appreciate that. And I'm grateful for it, that I grew up in a home where someone could teach me the value of prayer. And I'm on that list. I won't let her ever take me off either. I'm like, <laughs> she's like, can I take you off now? No, don't ever take me off your list. I need to be up at the top. Put me at the top. When we are in a place of fear, it's a great time to go get support from someone else, whether it's the Holy Spirit. You know, this is the place where it's good to recognize our frailty. Not that we are not whole and perfect and total and complete, but to realize that we have a tendency to go off into fear and worry and stress. And when we're doing that, we are not really the, in the best place of consciousness to decide a plan or even to listen for one. Sometimes we just want to ask the Holy Spirit, decide for me about this. I have these two job opportunities. I have no idea. Decide for me. Put some big red bow on it. Put some big red light on it. And show me the right way to go here. And if this is the right way. And you know, if you take away both of these, that's okay too. I just want peace. My goal is peace. And I'm going to be listening for only your voice. And you make this decision for me. Decide for me was one of uh, the statements that brought me the most peace the most quickly because I realized that it wasn't up to me. And that was very calming for me because I've always been a real problem solver. I have a very strong left brain. I like to analyze things and get into the details and I like to figure it out and, and make sure it makes sense to me. But sometimes the things that happen don't make any sense. Miracles don't make any sense. And it's always, you know, my husband calls it the 11th solution. You know that there's 10 things that you'll try and then you run out. And then when you pray about it, you'll get the 11th solution. It's the one you didn't think about. Usually it comes from a place that you didn't even know existed. You know how many times I've asked in prayer to be helped with a certain situation. And it ends up coming from a friend of mine's friend's friend that I never would have known nor how to contact them, and all of a sudden they bring me critical information, or they, it's a phone call, but it ends up coming right to me. That's how we can begin to recognize a God solution, is it has this uh, beautiful quality of not being of us. And that doesn't minimize us. That doesn't dismiss us in the, um, in the whole process. What ends up happening is if we will turn over our decision-making, in A Course in Miracles it says that, there's rules for decision making. There's a whole section on it. Read that sometime. It's very simple. And basically it boils down to this. I am willing to think about my whole and healed picture, whatever that looks like. Maybe it's myself happy in a relationship. Maybe it's, you know, working at a job I love. Maybe it's living in a beautiful home that I feel safe in and I'm excited to be there. You know, maybe it's having lots of abundance and prosperity flowing through my life. Just having that joyful, wonderful thought that doesn't have a lot of, you know, specifics about it, but just a very joyful feeling, and then asking God to bring that to you. 
And it also tells us uh, in another place in the book that there's a couple of things that when we're asking for something that we want to keep these things in mind. One is that we want to ask for things that are eternal. If you ask for a coffee table, well, you might get your coffee table, but what if you were supposed to get something far grander than a coffee table? When we ask for the joy of something functional in this room, or, you know, just give it some parameters such that the Holy Spirit can really knock your socks off, right? The more specific we say it has to be this or I won't be happy, we are beginning to limit and narrow what the Holy Spirit can do through us and from us. So it's great to have your, your joyful picture, like seeing yourself in a happy, wonderful relationship. Well, you don't have to assign the face. The minute you say, well, I want a happy, wonderful uh, relationship, and it has to be with this person, now we've narrowed it. Because you know what? That other person may not be the one that brings you a happy, wonderful relationship. Now we've kind of thrown things into a dilemma. We, we're saying we want happiness, but what if this is not the happy relationship? So right away we have narrowed um, in our choice what can happen for us. So if you ask for that happy picture, make sure that it has an eternal aspect like happiness or joy or peace or contentment, fulfillment. These are all eternal qualities that we are entitled to. So make sure it has one of those components. And then you know you're asking for something that you would surely want to keep. And then the second component is to make sure that what you're asking for takes from no one. So if I'm a, a you know, high school girl and I, you know, I'm, I'm looking at what this uh, girl has over here and she's got some bracelet and I know that her grandmother gave it to her. And what if I got it in my mind? I'm actually going to steal it, you know. Maybe I'm going to steal it so I can have it because my grandmother died and I just didn't get you know, all the opportunities that she did. And maybe I can rationalize to myself that really I should have that bracelet. And she has so many other things anyway, so she probably wouldn't miss it. This is when we're really asking for some problems for ourselves, not from a place of judgment or wrath, but if we are going to take something from another person, that's ourselves. If you're going to take from another person, you will be taken from, not as a wrathful gesture. It is cause and effect. Because if there's only one of us here, only one consciousness, then when we take from another person, we are taking from ourselves. So the next thing we know, maybe I take that bracelet. And now I'm hiding it, and I have it now. And the next thing I know, you know, my dog is missing. And I will never put that together, that my missing dog has to do anything with the bracelet that I took from this other person. And it's not about wrath. This is not God trying to get back at you for some terrible deed. This is cause and effect. If you take from another person, you will be taken from. It's you you're stealing from. And it will show up in a way that you don't put those two things together until the day that you do. Our happy picture is eternal. It has an eternal aspect. Now we're asking for something that is truly worthy of us. And we want to make sure that it doesn't take from anyone. As we go forward and we realize that God has not lost our file, that simply it's a matter of, it's almost like we have this telephone cord, you know, coming down into our head, and we have somehow pinched it off. Now, in truth, we cannot close it down completely. We can't even really close it down at all. But we can believe we have. And the moment we believe that we have, we will experience our own selves being cut off from that divine intelligence. So if I were to reach up and, and just cut the cord 
on that divine flow of resources and love and all the great things in my life. And then I start to ask, well, where did God go? How come God's not talking to me? What's happening? You know, I wouldn't even realize that it was me that's cutting that channel down. The way that we cut the channel down is when we are in fear. When we go into fear and judgment and worry and stress and anxiety and guilt and grief and confusion and the thousand other words that go along with those, we shut down the funnel. In truth, we can't, but we will think we did. The moment we think we did, it's like literally, you know, I can block out the whole sun by putting my hand over my eyes. The whole sun lights up the whole universe that I can see, right? And I can block the whole darn thing by putting my hand over my eyes. We do the same thing. When we go into fear, we are not in trust. The moment we go into fear, what we're really saying and declaring is, I don't have a God. If I did, I wouldn't be afraid. If I have a God, and God is the all-powerful presence of the universe, the divine source of all in all, divine intelligence, knows everything I have ever been, will be, will ever be. It is the place of intelligence of all-knowingness. And if I'm one with that, what would I have to fear? The reason we're afraid is because we believe that we are cut off from that. And remember, as a child of God, what we think we will perceive as real. So we have to begin with our thoughts. And remember how easy it is because it's not up to us. Remember that little caveat that if it was up to us to heal all our own thoughts, well, good luck with that. We'd probably be, be back in, you know, on earth you know, thousands and thousands of times. It just would take a really long time. Because your own mind will keep representing the same fears. It's your own mind. You know, if you kept going back to the same person that gave you the wrong directions in the first place, and you said, can you tell me those again? What are they going to tell you? I told you how to get there. I don't know what your problem is. Here's the directions again. And you can go in the same loop that goes to nowhere. But somehow we keep coming back to our own mind thinking that we have the plan, we know what to do, we know what to say, and we stop asking, we stop listening, and we just decide and we go forward, we pinch off that cord, we close off our connection, and we go, how come the lights went out and did God lose my file? It's not something to judge ourselves about. It's just something to be aware of. Because the moment we start judging ourselves about that, we're cutting that cord off again. Remember that we're not really doing anything wrong. It's not about right or wrong. It's about delaying happiness. That's the only thing we can do, but that's enough, isn't it? I mean, if you know that all happiness waits for you, and this, this kind of happiness is where it doesn't get screwed up, the kind of happiness that is uninterrupted peace that only grows and gets better. So if we know that that is our inheritance as a child of God, and we are delaying that, that's enough of a penance, right? So we can begin today by choosing to ask first, before we decide. What if I ask before I decide? In fact, in this section in the book about rules for decision making, it says to say this out loud. Sometimes the course is just funny. And it says, say, I forgot what to decide. And it's just kind of funny because the moment you get ready to make a decision, if you say that out loud, you're going to make yourself laugh. 
you know, maybe you're you're headed out somewhere and you're really maybe it's a business deal and you're going to get this business deal done and you know how you're going to do it. You have your strategy all lined up and you know exactly what you're going to say and you're, and you're just pretty sure what that guy's going to say and you already have that ready and it's in your folder and you're, you've anticipated everything you could possibly anticipate but you didn't anticipate the traffic jam you're going to get into and the fact that you're going to miss the entire meeting. Right, and in fact, it's going to be on the phone, and so somehow all the things that you had created are no longer useful. Maybe you worked for you know six weeks on a PowerPoint slide that now is on a phone call, and you don't have your hands on it. How could we anticipate that? But if we were to ask first and make a reservation for peace about that business meeting, you know, dear God, I'm going into a business meeting. I'm doing what I am appointed to do. Here I am. I'm going to this meeting. At least it seems I am unless I never get there, but I am planning to move towards this business meeting. Will you show me how we can have a peaceful outcome in all respects? Remember that peace is all-inclusive. It means everyone's needs are met. It means that everyone wins, that everyone is included, that everyone's file is considered in the plan. So before we even begin to get ready for the meeting, we ask, what would you have me do? What would you have me say? How should I say it? And who should I say it to, if anything? Maybe I'm not even the right person to do this. So we go to a place of just listening before we have orchestrated the plan. This is huge. And then you start getting really in touch with your gut. It's like there's this inner compass, and you become very dialed into it. And somebody comes in and says, well, I think we should you know, present this information here. And you just feel it, and you go, no. No, that's not going to work. And you start to get really in touch with your intuition. Males and females have this. It's a gift we all have. But it comes from listening before we decide. Let's say I'm planning to go north. I decide first I'm going north. That's the way I'm going. But what I don't know is the happiest journey for me is south. I don't know that. I think north is my happy journey, right? So once I make that decision and I start going north, and now when I pray and ask for guidance, what I'm really asking for is how can you help me go north, right? But what if divine intelligence says south is happy, baby? You're going the wrong way. So how would I know that? Every time I'm going north, I'm going to feel resistance. I'm going to, I'm going to run into challenges and obstacles. And yet, you know, we'll always be guided through things and around things, but we are not reaching towards our highest level of joy and happiness because we're headed out directly opposed from it. But what if before we go north, we say, okay, God, you know, where would you have me go? North, south, east, west, or some variation? Or would you just have me stand right here? What would I do to ensure my happiness? What would I do so that I could tap into your divine plan and to know it with all my heart and to feel the harmony and the peace and the contentment that comes along with that? We ask first. It's a simple step, but it gets missed. In, uh, in the Song of Prayer, it's one of the supplements to A Course in Miracles, and it kind of goes along with this as well. And it's a line I read the other day in Sohela's car that I love so much, and it says, uh, first forgive, then pray, and you are healed. So we, wherever we are and whatever we're doing, there's usually some assessment about either what we're not doing 
or what someone else is not doing or what we are doing or what they're doing and they shouldn't be doing. So there's always this dialogue going in our head about what's not working and what's not happening and what should be, you know, there's this whole thing going on. If we first forgive, which means whatever's going on, release it, let it go. Whatever your opinion is, your judgment is, whatever your perception is of the other person or of yourself, first forgive, then pray. Ask for direction. What should I do here? And then we follow what feels peaceful and compelling. That's our two criteria. We've asked. We listen. Sometimes we don't get an answer. What does that mean? Has God lost our file? No, it means you're not supposed to do anything yet. If you don't get an answer, it's because you don't have an answer. It means you don't do it yet. You wait until it's peaceful and compelling. That can get confusing sometimes because a lot of times we feel anxious and compelled. It's not the same thing, right? Anxious and compelled, we know that condition. I better call him right now because he's going to leave the office, right? And I need to get that deal signed today because it's Friday and it's the end of the month and I have to get this signed because I have to meet my quota. Or maybe I better wear, you know, this particular thing because this looks much more friendly if I'm going to go meet this person. And, you know, we're always in this place of trying to decide and anticipate to figure it out, but we're not necessarily listening. I was first learning about asking and I thought, okay, God, all right. You know, and, I, and I'd been a CFO. I mean, I had planning, budgeting forecasting, thinking ahead was my job. That's what I was paid to do. And when I read in A Course in Miracles, a healed mind doesn't plan. That was tough on me. That was one of the toughest things that I could possibly take into my mind. What do you mean a healed mind doesn't plan? Because I had learned my whole life that if you don't plan, that you will fail. But what we find out is that through planning without asking, you will fail. Something will not work out the way that it could have. And I thought, all right, I'll put this to the test. So I got up one morning and I thought, what should I wear? Something very basic. I have a meeting today. It's with a doctor. And he wanted to learn one of the little healing modalities that I do. He thought it was interesting. We were having a lunch meeting. And I thought, you know, I've never asked about what to wear before. I think I'll do that. What will I wear? I thought, you know, I'm just going to ask about everything. See how this day goes. You know, when I get a concept out of The Course in Miracles, one of the things that I do is I always put it to the test. I want to see. And I thought, you know, and if it doesn't prove itself, I'm throwing this out. Remember that left brain that I have? <laughs> That's what I do. I put it to the test. I walked into my closet. wasn't all that big, but I could walk in there and look around. And I thought, okay, it's August, and uh, I'm meeting this doctor today. And, and I started just pulling things out because I asked first, what should I wear? And I pull out this little black short sleeve sweater and a little plaid skirt and some black stockings and black heels. And I put them out on my bed. And before I really realized what I did, I laid it all out there. And I looked at the outfit and I thought, it's August. It's like 90 degrees out there. Why would I be wearing all this black? And it's like a first meeting. I've got a black, like a little, well, it's the only black thing I had was short sleeves, but I was very drawn to it, and I thought, all right, I asked. So I put it all on. I went down and sat at my desk, and I was doing some work before the meeting, and now it's about 10 minutes to 12, and the, my phone rings, and it's the doctor that I was going to meet. And he said, you know, I really have to apologize. I can't meet you today because the water heater in my office um, 
you know, the complex there, it's flooding the office and we have to take care of it. Can we reschedule? And I said, sure, you know. And I hang up the phone and I look down at what I'm wearing and I go, all right, God, what about this? I mean, if this is, if you're telling me what to do, what to wear, you would have told me he's going to cancel today, right? I'm, I'm serious. I'm sitting there talking out loud going, here I am dressed this way and you would have told me your divine intelligence and the phone rang again. This time it was my aunt and my aunt was crying. I said, what's the matter? And she said, well, I just came back into town and I found out that my best friend passed away. She goes, I didn't know it. And she said, and I don't have a car and I, I can't go to the funeral, but will you, pr will you pray with me? And I said, sure, I will. And I thought, hmm. I looked down at my outfit and I said, where's that funeral? And she said, it's in Hollywood. I said, what time is the funeral? And she said, 1.30. And I said, I'll, I'll come in 20 minutes. I'll be there. And I said, I'm dressed for a funeral. I'm ready to go. And uh, so I jumped in my car. I didn't have to hesitate. And I jumped in my car. I was perfectly dressed for an August funeral. And I, I went to pick her up, picked her up right on the way to Hollywood. We pulled in at 1.20, just in enough time for her to make it to the front row and sit down next to uh, her best friend's fiance. And he was in tears, and he was sitting there all by himself. And uh, the two of them were her favorite people in the world. And uh, she was able to be right there with her best friend's fiance for the funeral. And I just stood in the back, and I was like, oh, my goodness, look at that. And that just came from asking what to wear. And that's where it begins. You know, it's in that very practical place where we just ask first, even about something so simple. Because if whatever we ask about, you can now be an instrument of love, an instrument of light. Whatever you do, you're now going to do it in alignment with your divine creator. If we ask and we let go of the fear and we listen, this is when we become a very critical part of the action plan because God is realized through us. It's through our touch and our voice and our lips and uh, the, what we hear and the way that we communicate with other people. We are the individualized expression of God. And as we stop deciding against that which we are and we stand in alignment with it, now we become co-creators with God. Now we can be utilized as an instrument, and that's not any labor. That's not any sweat. This is a joyful task. This is the place where you get to realize happiness in action, love doing love's work. And also we become blessed. We get blessed by the experience. That day I learned how to trust in a very basic, practical way. It taught me something, something so basic as what to wear. Normally, I would have never asked about something like that. And it showed me that if I will ask right at that basic place, right before I make the decision, that any decision can be utilized to create a beautiful miracle. If we look outward from where we are and we see our problem in front of us, we can remember that the problem we're looking at is simply because we have a misperception. The moment we see a problem, it's because we have a misperception. Because the only way there can be a problem is if we have a misperception. If we could see truly, 
and with true vision, as given to us by our Creator, there would be no problem. The problem reminds us that somewhere we still have our one problem. A Course in Miracles says we only have one problem. We think we have thousands of problems. We have one problem. The problem is we think we are separated from our Creator, from our Source. Therein lies all of our problems. If we knew we were one with that, we would have no problems. We wouldn't be afraid. We wouldn't be anxious. We wouldn't be stressed. And sometimes that fear comes on and you feel like, but I can't make it go away. And we don't have to. We don't have to decide how to get rid of the fear. Our part is to realize that there is an alternative. Remember the willingness. It's just willingness. Dear God, I'm, I'm afraid, but I'm willing not to be. I want to trust you with all my heart. Lift me up so I can see. Help me to have clear, calm, loving, peaceful thoughts such that all these fear thoughts are dissolved. I am willing to let you occupy my mind. You know, rearrange the furniture. You know, here's the keys. You know, move everything around so that now it can be in alignment with your will. And the way that we know that we are either trusting or not trusting is our level of resistance. When something happens in front of us and we feel very resistant to it, what we're really saying is, I don't trust you. You know, if somebody was taking you by the hand right now and walking you through something, and maybe they're not asking you to wallow in it or dwell in it or stay for a while, they're actually walking you through it because it's something you created, and they're trying to walk you through it and out of it. When we become scared and resistant and we pull back, it really says that that which is walking me, I don't trust it. I have to do this. I have to figure this out. That's where the fear comes from. Fear is lack of trust. That's not something to judge ourselves about. It's just something to be aware of. Instantly, we can make another choice. And it's okay if your knees are still knocking. It's okay if you're still scared and trembling. The moment you choose to ask for help and let go of your own plan and go without resistance, go with the flow and let it unfold before you, now you have called upon the highest and wisest place of your mind and now you're going to be led through this without harm of any kind. Sometimes you'll look around and you just think, oh my God, it's like you're on the, you know, the railroad tracks and somebody's tied you down and the train's coming straight towards you. If you will stop and remember who you are one with, we have a line in front of us. On one side of that line, we have our oneness with God. We have gratitude. Gratitude that we're one with God, therefore we have no problems. That is the truth of our reality if we will tug upon it, stand in it, claim it, own it, and allow it. We have peace, joy, wisdom, trust, certainty, safety, love, and wholeness. On this side of the line, when we are one with God, and that's the choice we're making, you have called upon heaven to handle everything. Everything. And it will be handled for you, and usually without your effort. But we can stand on this side of the line, and we can have our own sense of separation. We will feel anger, pain, misery, confusion, abandonment, worry, doubt, lack, fear, and illness. So if we stand on this side, which is the side that we're used to, we don't want to stand there just because we're used to it. You know, once you know you're standing in mud, get out of the mud. 
So when the fear starts to come up, ask for help with that. You know, God, help me with this fear. Take it from my mind and heart. Do those five steps. I'm willing to see this differently. I'm willing to have a void in front of me instead of my problem. I'm just going to leave a space for you. I'm willing to borrow the certainty of one who knows. I'm willing to trade my fear thoughts for the loving and peaceful thoughts you have for me. And I'm willing to make a reservation for peace. These five steps are on the undoing the fear CD, just for anyone that's wanting to practice those. We have at least five steps. And even if you pull on one of those, it's enough to pull you to the other side of this line. Then what happens is we stop standing in the mud and we get out for a while, but we're really used to jumping back in because that's what we're used to. We're used to standing in the mud and trying to slug our way out of it. So when you find yourself back in the mud, ask again. You'll be back on the other side of the line. You will notice the effects of that. You will begin to see miracles and things shift out in front of you. And then you'll go right back to the mud again because our tendency is to have an undisciplined mind. We go into worry and fear and it just takes off and starts spinning. And, you know, maybe we spend five minutes, ten minutes, half a day, three days or a month. And we go, oh, my gosh, I forgot. I can make another choice. And we catch ourselves. We go back to the other side of the line. And so we're now teeter-tottering back and forth and back and forth. And we wonder why we get inconsistent results. And it's okay to teeter-totter for a while. It's okay to do it as long as you want to. But to realize that we don't have to. There will come a time, and it will happen in a natural, peaceful kind of way, where you will be done with the teeter-totter. You will be sick and tired of being sick and tired. You will go stand on the other side of the line of consciousness and know your oneness with God. You will know the peace, the gratitude, the happiness, and you will choose it because every time that you have, it has brought you fruit. It has brought you to a higher and more peaceful outcome. So at some point, we get really extra smart, and we just decide to stay there. And we just aren't going to do the fear. We aren't going to do the anxiety. We aren't going to do the guilt and the grief and the confusion. We're going to stay on this side of the line, and we're going to super glue our feet right into the carpet. We're going to stand right there, and no matter what happens, we're just going to be committed to peace and love and joy and happiness. No matter what we see with our eyes, remember not one thing we see is based in truth. What we're looking at is the outside picture of our past thoughts. If we believe what we see with our eyes, we will only reproduce it. That's the sad part about that, is we will reinforce what we see and we'll launch it out again and then we'll walk through it again and again and again. But ultimately, we'll get it because we are pretty smart. You don't have to tell us a million times, right? Only 900, 900. <laughs> but, you know, there's a point where it gels. You know, like when you put Jello in the refrigerator, and there's a point where it just gels. And it happens for us, too. And it happens because the fear starts going down as we practice this. The peace starts coming up. It's almost like the light going up in the room. And there comes a time where you see your whole way out, and you just smile, and you take it. That's where we are. We have that choice. We have that capacity. I just wanted to read one of the lessons. It's, it's lesson one, two, three. So if you're ever needing a really basic lesson, you can think of one, two, three. The lesson title is, I thank my father for his gifts to me. Today, let us be thankful. We have come to gentler pathways and to smoother roads. There is no thought of turning back and no implacable resistance to the truth. A bit of wavering remains, some small objections and a little hesitance. But you can well be grateful for your gains. 
which are far greater than you realize. A day devoted now to gratitude will add the benefit of some insight into the real extent of all the gains which you have made, the gifts you have received. Be glad today. In loving thankfulness, your Father has not left you to yourself, nor let you wander in the dark alone. You know, a lot of times we, we prepare uh, to walk this journey, and we're learning to not go into fear despite our circumstances. We look around, and a lot of times our circumstances look really grim and hopeless and terrible, and yet there's something inside of us. There's like a little flicker of light that just says, it's going to be okay. You're going to get through it. You know, we all have that still, small voice, and we turn to it, and sometimes it seems like that voice gets really distant and far away. But if we could realize how courageous that we've actually been, you know, times when, you know, whether you didn't have enough money or you didn't have the relationship you wanted or you're in the middle of a great big mess and you still could find a way to laugh or smile or go walk in a park with a friend, somehow we find this resilience within us. And it's because the light within us has never been extinguished. We have the capacity to see beyond our illusions. But a lot of times we haven't been taught that it's our right and our privilege to see beyond our illusions. We think that our illusions are our reality and that there's nothing else. But what we're learning through this book and through the many other paths there are to God, we're learning that there is a truth that we have forgotten in order to have our illusions. We've decided on the pictures we see. We've you know, held on to certain thoughts. We've made decisions and we've just walked a path regardless and then we end up in the middle of nowhere and then we ask for help. But help will always find its way to us. One thing that I find really consoling in the course it says that God takes the final step. You know, when we think we've been so courageous and we're just worn out and you know, even trying to stand on this side of that line, it takes a lot. And it can, it can wear you down, you know, because the illusion is so convincing and it's, it's so detailed and complex and it just, you know, it seems like the dragon that's breathing down on you. And it's really hard sometimes to know that you're not in danger because God's one with you, even though this dragon looks like he's about to eat your head off, right? We can become weary. And the beautiful part of that, it says in A Course in Miracles, that once you have prepared yourself, like not that it's up to us, but once we have allowed ourselves to be prepared for the remembrance of our Creator, God takes the final step. And that's a great relief because usually at that time, the time when we're really kind of tired of the process, when we're really sick of it and we're ready for it to be done already, and we really want to know the peace and the safety of our heavenly home, even here on earth, and it feels like we just can't take another step, we just can't take another minute, and we know that there's something good happening because our peace is beginning to rise and the fear is beginning to come down, but we're tired. And at that time, is when God makes his step towards us. And it's in a place of consciousness. It's not that he's separated from us. Our creator is pure love. But that place of our consciousness knows how to prepare us for the memory of something that is so lofty. You know, if all of a sudden one day you are going to spend the rest of your days looking directly into the daylight of the sun, right into it, you know, in something far brighter, far grander, far greater. And it was going to bring you more peace and happiness and joy that you, than you've ever known. 
it would take some preparing, wouldn't it? Especially when our eyes were used to darkness. And so right now, this is kind of what we're doing. We are being prepared to remember. Because love is gentle, love is kind, it will never push itself on us or invade or manipulate our mind or consciousness. And so we are being prepared right now. Every time we say, you know what, I'm going to stand on this side of the line. I'm going to choose to remember I am one with God. I am claiming the truth of who I am. I am a child of God, and that's a big deal. And that means that I don't have any problems because my oneness with God is bright enough to take care of everything. Every time we do that, what we're doing is we are allowing ourselves to be prepared for the memory of truth that we have forgotten. It's a big memory. You know, in the Course, it tells us that right now, if we were to remember it, that our physical bodies could not contain it. Um, we will remember some of it here, but while we are in bodies, we won't remember all of it because it would be more than our physical human heart could bear. Um, but we will remember enough such that we will experience enormous peace and uninterrupted happiness even while we are here. And that's what it calls the happy dream, that our lives will literally be transformed from a place of a very sad and you know, terrible nightmare kind of dream to a happy dream. And the happy dream is where things start to work. People show up in your life that are loving and kind and supportive. And all of a sudden you're doing work that you love and you're living in a home that you enjoy and your body is healing and the people around you are happy and joyous and connected to you and you feel like your family is extending and there's people in your life that you truly love and you feel a part of. And somehow there's a part of you that's just growing stronger and bigger and more expanded in a way that you really love. And as this is going on, we are being prepared to remember the truth. God takes the final step. So we don't have to worry if we're feeling a little fatigued by the process. Sit right where we are, even if the room is dark, whether it's half dim or filled with light and you still don't know your way out. Sit right where you are and know that the Creator knows its way to us. It created us. It knows right where we are but it will never choose against us. So while we have chosen against the Creator, it will feel as though we've been cut off. It's not true. It's never been true. But love will wait patiently. The Course tells us that love waits on welcome, not on time. And so it will wait for us until we are done playing on this side of the line. The line that has the fear and the worry and the distress and the anxiety. That side of the line where we make the decision and then we invite God to go along for the ride. We stop. We listen. We ask. And if you've never done this before, it may feel strange. You may feel like you're talking to yourself. You might feel rather silly. But give it a go and watch what happens. It's extraordinary. You know, I've had people say to me, you know, what do you do? Do you just talk out loud? You know, what do you do? I don't even know. I've never done this. Yeah. Talk out loud or in your head, whatever you want to do. But the biggest thing is to make the invitation. You know, the prayer book gives you lots of different ways to pray. If you've never done that before, it's a simple conversation. We don't want to think about prayer as being something really scary or challenging or hard. Prayer is just communication. It's going to a place of asking and listening and receiving. So tonight, if I leave you with just this one thought, it's to ask and then to listen and to receive the answer. And when you get that answer, the way that you will know is you will feel peacefully compelled to take action. 
And if you don't feel peacefully compelled to take action, it means stand down. It's not time yet. Perhaps the answer is going to be brought to you. That there will be another instrument of love that's going to bring something quite beautiful to you. And maybe your job is to open the door and greet them. Is there anyone that has any questions? Uh, I was wondering, um, is that, this is in the context of prayers. Um, if the light and um, the divine intelligence is universal, it's um, given to everybody, and assuming fairness, that everybody is able to receive that equally, but it is individual's um, interception, interpretation, and that illusion that gives us impression we're not receiving that equally. Then um, why is it not just up to that very person to correct that? And we would have to perhaps ask somebody else to pray and give us direction. Thank you. Well, it's not that we're required to ask someone else. When, we're, when I say someone else, um, you know, really we're asking the highest place of our consciousness. So we're going to a place that knows no fear. If you're going to ask directions about how to get somewhere, and the place where we're trying to get to is a place of no fear, then you would probably want to start by asking a guide that knows no fear. You know, so that's, it's like if I want to go north, then I'm probably going to pick a guide that knows how to take me north. And the guide is your higher part of your consciousness. Um, we can call that the Holy Spirit. You can just call it God or, you know, whatever master you, you align with. But we're going to go to that place of consciousness where fear is not known. And we're going to ask for help from that place because we're one with that consciousness. So we've never left that part of our mind. We're one with it. We have a right to it. And we're part of it. And we can draw upon it at any time. But sometimes when we're in a physical reality and uh, we're having a little trouble, and it's just really nice to have someone like a friend of yours just mirror back to you, you know what, it's going to be okay. I'm going to pray, with, pray about this with you. I'm going to hold your back here. You know, I've got your back on this because I'm not as scared, and so I'm going to help you with that. You know, I watched a young kid one time total his car um, right near my house. He put it right into a brick wall, and it was his, uh, his best friend's car. Beautiful Mustang. Was a beautiful Mustang. Um, blue with the two white stripes down the front, and it was, it was a pretty one. But it was about a half a car when he was done, and he said, my life is over. And I said, no, no, your life is not over. And he said, look, this is my friend's car. My parents don't even know I was driving it. My friend doesn't know that I did this, and my life is over. And I said, no, your life is not over. Please, please, join with me. Would you be willing to know that this can work out? And he's like, no, my life is over. And, I, and so we had a long discussion that day, and we sat down at the curb, and I'm like, would you please be willing to just see that there's some way possible? Because what you decide right now is going to determine the outcome of the situation. Will you join with me in just being willing to consider that maybe possible some way that this could happen in a peaceful, harmonious kind of way? Would you be willing? And he finally said yes. I said, okay, that's your only part. I want you to just hang with that. You're going to be willing to know it's possible for this to work out okay. And then I told him, I said, you know, I know you're in a lot of fear right now. He was visibly shaking. We're waiting for the paramedics. I know you're in a lot of fear right now, so I've got your back in prayer. I said, that's what I know how to do. I said, so you do the willingness. I've got your back in prayer. We're a great combination. It's going to be okay. 
He goes, but I have to call my parents. And I go, I'll even call your parents. How about that? I said, because I'm not as scared as you are. So I'll call your parents. I'll help them know what, what happened here. And um, as long as you're willing to know, it's possible that maybe, you know, somehow, some way, something good could happen here. First, we go to that divine place of consciousness. And we're willing to know that peace is possible. Remember, the Course says that we're only in an impossible situation because we think it's possible to be in one. So that, that young man thought he was in an impossible situation. And I had to do quite a bit of persuasion to get him to loosen up on that idea. But I knew that if he hung on to that, his situation was not going to be so great. First we go up in divine consciousness to that place of pure love without fear. But it's really great too to join with another being that can mirror the truth back to you. Even in the prayer book it has a place called the witness and what you can do is, if you're ever in a place of despair, just have someone read the witness to you. Have them look into your eyes and look down at the paper and look into your eyes and read the witness right to you. And I guarantee you, you will get back to a place of peace much more quickly. It's an acknowledgement of the truth right while you're in the turmoil. And there's nothing like another human being that has the light of God within them to mirror that right back to you. We ready to close? All right. Let's finish with a prayer. Does anyone have any special prayer requests? Anybody they'd like to put into our circle? Yourself or someone else? Your brother? Okay. And your son, Matthew? My son. And your son, Peter? Peter. Anyone? Yourself with knee surgery? Toe joint surgery? Humans, we have a lot of stuff, don't we? Man, it's not an easy place. What do you have? biopsy all right and we'll just take a moment for everyone online to just bring your consciousness with us into our circle join us here and we join you there and to place your loved ones into this circle of peace dear God we thank you for your love we thank you that we have never left your heart that we are one with you and that there is nothing to fear if there is any place in our mind where we have decided against you or ourselves or our happiness, we ask that you would heal that place in our mind. We are willing to surrender all of our perceived problems to you, and we ask for our perceptions to be healed. And we are willing to know that with your love and your grace and your wisdom and your certainty that there is nothing to fear as we stand on the other side of the line, the side that is with you. And we realize that in truth, there is no two sides of this line. But as children of God, that we have the power of choice. And sometimes we believe that we can be different or separated or denied your love. So we are willing to give up that side of the line as much as we know how and to claim the truth of who we are. Even if we don't understand it, even if we don't know how to get there, even if we think that we're not very good at this, we still have the capacity to make that choice. Tonight we choose to align with your love, to accept the divine inheritance that you have given. And for all of us here and those we have included in our circle and everyone beyond, we are willing to know that peace is possible. And it's not only possible, it is our divine birthright. And we accept it, we receive it, we allow it, we recognize it, we claim it, we stand in it, and we celebrate it. And we ask for your strength in helping us to stay on the side of the line that aligns with your love. We choose to not decide against you.
we accept only what you have given. Thy will be done. Amen.